forget that. Don't want to run the batteries down when I'm sitting back there, so I'd forget to turn it on. Now, last week, we talked about Joseph, and we're talking about the three robes of jo Joseph. And the first robe last week we talked about was about the robe that his father gave him, the coat of many colors, that he gave it to, his gave it to Joseph, and it was kind of a, that because of that robe and because of the favoritism that his father showed towards David, I mean toward David, towards Joseph, it landed him in a pit. And his brother sold him into slavery to uh, the Ishmaelites, and that's kind of where we ended last week. And we know that uh, his life wasn't always the best situation it could be, but a lot of the situations he caused for himself. God gave him some dreams, spoke to him through dreams, and instead of him being able to ask God what they meant and asking for his guidance about it, how do I use these dreams, what do these mean, he blabbed them all over the place and didn't know what they meant, didn't care what they understood. He just knew that it looked like I was being elevated, so he liked it. Don't we like elevating ourselves if we can? <laughs> And because he did that, because he had pride in his heart, and he elevated himself and was telling all you people are going to bow down to me, of course, they didn't like it. And if you know when you're in your own family, they don't listen to you. If you say something to them and say, hey, I'm going to grow up to be, you know, a doctor, and you're not smart enough or you're not challenged enough or whatever to be a doctor, but I'm going to be a doctor because I'm smarter than you are. That'll go over real good in your family, won't it? Your, your older brothers will, will beat you up or punch you out or something. Anyway, mine did. I remember when my, old, my older brother, I don't know what, I just didn't get along very well with my older brother for some reason. And I don't know whether it's because I was always showing up where they didn't want me to be. Maybe I was like Joseph. Maybe I told on him, tattletailed a little bit. I don't really know. But, uh, and I'd show up every place he was at, and he got mad at me one day. And he hit me and knocked me down. And I got up, and he'd hit me, and I knocked, knocked me down again, and I'd get up. And he'd say, he knocked me down again, and he says, stay down. I says, ain't no way I'm staying down. I'm not giving you the satisfaction to know you kept me down. So I got, the, got beat up a little bit, but I probably deserved it, knowing me, because I was like Joseph. I had a big mouth most of my life. I had a lot of teachers didn't like my mouth at all. And that was in the days when teachers were allowed to beat the kids. Some of you others may not remember that, but when I was in, high, when I was in school, in elementary school, the teacher could beat you up and it was okay. And you didn't dare go home and tell your dad because then he'd beat you again. And I remember the teacher grabbing by the hair of the head and pound my head into the wall. So if you think I have brain damage, I do. <laughs> so, but I... That's kind of the situation that Joseph got involved in. He got to let his mouth get him into trouble. And how many times do our mouths get us in trouble? If we just wouldn't say anything, it would just zip it up and not say anything. But isn't the tendency, you know, just eating at you on the inside? You just got to say something? You just got to? Well, we need to, at those times, ask God for wisdom and say, teach me to say what I need to say and don't let me say the stuff I'm not supposed to say. And it's harder, God has a harder job getting us not to say the things that we want to say than he does saying the things that we, we should say. We're, we get in more trouble when we say a lot of things we shouldn't say. And that's what happened to Joseph. He was bragging on himself and telling everybody, you know, you're going to bow down to me. He didn't know what it meant, didn't care. He just knew, that, oh, this is a, a dream that God gave me and I'm going to be great. And it wasn't just that his, uh, his family kept him from his greatness because he, according to his dreams, he thought he was going to be great. And God, at this time, spoke to people in their dreams. Nowadays, like I mentioned last week, sometimes dreams, we can't always hold a lot of 
value to them because sometimes it's just what we ate the night before. You wake up in the middle of the night, it was the pizza or the anchovies or something else that was on it that determines what you dream. But sometimes in our life, we get a dream. Sometimes we know that maybe there is some meaning to it. And God does speak to us that way. Because as we know, when God sends an angel and an angel appears, man, it scares the daylights out of us. So sometimes God talks to us in our dreams when we're all quiet and our mouths are shut. Because it's hard for God to speak to us sometimes when our mouths are constantly moving. So we got to allow God that in those times. And there are times God speaks to us in dreams. In the Old Testament, God spoke a lot to people in, through their dreams. Because they didn't have the advantage that we have of the Holy Spirit. Now we have the, the whole Holy Spirit to be able to speak to us. Because when Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you and I'll send a comforter to you. I'll send somebody that's going to talk to you direct. And so now, all of us have the same opportunity to have the anointing of God on our lives that all the prophets in the Old Testament had. And that's great. So God speaks to us individually now. He doesn't need dreams, but sometimes if we're hard-headed, sometimes he has to reinforce things. But it isn't as common because of the fact that we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I'm thankful for the anointing of the Holy Spirit, not only when you minister like up here, but in our daily life. Because of that same Holy Spirit that anoints here is the same one that's going to anoint you when you're doing your job, whatever it might be. I don't care what it is. It doesn't matter. Whether it's pumping gas, whether it's cleaning something up, whether it's working with stamps, stamping up, or whatever it is that you do, or checking somebody else's work to make sure it's okay, God can anoint you. When I worked at the last place I worked, I asked God to bless my employers and anoint me to help them. Because just because we're Christians doesn't mean that we're not supposed to play for the places, places we work, especially in this economy. If God doesn't bless the places we work, we could be out of a job. So we want that place to prosper so we can you know, have a job and we can be able to minister. We can work and walk in the anointing no matter where we're at, no matter what we're doing. God can anoint us to do it. And it makes it, that job not seem so tedious. I know that there was a, a story about a missionary uh, a few years ago that I heard about, and they knew she was a Christian. And they made her work, and all her job was was doing nothing but cleaning outhouses. That was her job because she was a Christian. They punished her like that. But it didn't punish her. She didn't care. She went there singing songs just as if she was doing the best job there was in the world because that's what the anointing of God can do for us. So it won't matter. And that's what we want when in our lives is for God to uh, anoint us like that. So it wasn't just Joseph's family that was holding him back. It was his ego. And that ego gets in the way of everything that we do sometimes. We're, we're afraid to say I'm sorry to somebody because why? Our ego, even though we know we should, we don't do it because our ego gets in the way. So we just ask God, hey, God, take my ego. Help me to get rid of my ego and we'll be all right. But Joseph didn't pray that. We don't see anywhere in there where Joseph prayed for understanding about the dreams. We don't see him praying about how he's supposed to utilize these dreams. And so he responded in an maybe improper way. But God took that way that he responded and turned it around. So he, for his good and for his family's good and for the nation's good. And that's what he'll do with us. Because all the time, you know, I don't, I don't do everything that God wants me to do exactly the same way that he wants me to do it every single day of my life. I make mistakes. I say things I shouldn't say. I do things I shouldn't say. I have to apologize. I have to back up and look at things just like everybody else. But I have to be able to be willing to do that and be able to help God help me understand what this is. Help me when I open my mouth today, say anything, that it will be what you want me to say. And if we can just guard our mouths 
and think before we say anything, look at the problems that would alleviate in our lives. Look at the friends that we could keep or the enemies maybe we won't make because, we, because of our mouths. So that was Joseph's biggest problem. And God had to deal with his ego. He had to deal with his mouth just like he will for us. And he might send us to Egypt. <laughs> so maybe not literally, but figuratively, he might put us in a situation where he can mold us and he can utilize us and be able to make us into what he wants us to be. Because that's what he had to do with Joseph. Now when they were hauling him off, he probably wondered, what happened to me? Why do my brothers hate me so much? Isn't Hard, we can't see our own faults and our own flaws and our own lives. We can't see them. So he's sitting there wondering, why do my brothers hate me so much? Why are they doing this to me? Because he probably didn't know until he got to Egypt. And sometimes God's going to send us to Egypt, send us to places we don't want to go, to do things we don't want to do, so that he can work through us. So he can knock off some of the rough spots and smooth us out and make us the kind of Christian he wants us to be. And sometimes it's painful. Joseph found out it's painful. Not everything is all roses and all fun things to do. There's a lot of hard things to do as a Christian. And you're going to find out when we're a Christian, you think you had a, had a good life or a bad life before. Well, I'll tell you, try going the opposite direction on a, on a freeway and find out how, how fun that could be, dodging cars. Well, that's what it's like when we're Christians. When we become a Christian and we accept God in our life, it's like you turned around and went the other direction. And the whole world's coming this way, but we're trying to dodge the situations and ask God for guidance. Which car should I miss today? And that's kind of the situation. Because, but the good news is that when it gets bad, we know that there's going to be a good day coming. And so Joseph, I, he's probably hanging on to, you know, it can't get any worse. Can't get any worse than what this is. And so that's where we're going to pick up the story today. In Genesis, the 39th chapter. <clears throat> and we're going to start with the first verse. And we're going to talk about how jo Joseph triumphed over misery. And verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt... Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, brought him from the Ish bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. Now this was hard for Joseph. You know, he was you know his father was a very wealthy man, so he was living in the life of luxury as much as you could back in those days. They didn't have the fancy air conditioning and all that other kind of stuff. But he lived like a king, basically. He had responsibilities that he had. But here he had this great life that he was living. And all of a sudden, his brother sells him to the Ishmaelites. And here they come. They take him. They put, put uh, chains on his hands and on his feet and lock his head in a stock and uh, with a cross thing that they put on there. So all of a sudden, he's... he's not free anymore. Now that in itself would be a great challenge for any of us. And we, if the Lord tarries, that might be a situation we might find ourselves in one day. Because we don't know. When they throw God out, who knows what they're going to do. We know how they treat Christians in China. We know how they treat, treat them in Muslim countries. And we say, well, that couldn't happen here. Well, I don't know. Look at the way that our nation has gone. I never thought I'd live to see the day of the things that are going on in our nation would be happening. And I'm sitting here saying, man, Lord, I've lived too long. I don't like what's going on. I, so it could very well happen in, in America, and they could lock us up. But God will be faithful if that ever happens. I pray that God, Lord, let keep America strong till you come. 
till you come and take your church home. Keep us to help us to be strong. And I believe with all my heart that we're going to have a revival before the Lord comes. I think the Bible predicts it. I think that it's going to happen. So I can see a great outpouring of the Holy Spirit happening in our nation and around the world before he comes. I believe that that's the, um, what's going to happen. So I'm excited about that. <clears throat> but the problem is we have to go down so far before you realize what's going on and we, then we have a renewal. And that's what happened in Israel. Every time they served God and seen all the wonderful things that God did for them, then about three generations, on the fourth generation, they didn't know God anymore, and then they started turning away to the idols, and they started doing all these things that's going on. Well, that's the same thing we see in our nation. Only I don't think Israel went down any further than we are right now. So I know that a revival has to happen. When people are sick and tired of seeing all this junk and all this smut and all this stuff going on, then we're going to rise up. That's why Christians need to get involved in the political system. We need to write our congressmen. We need to write our senators and tell them, we don't want you doing this. We don't want you supporting all this. Because those are the ones the senators listen to and the uh, political leaders listen to. So we need to be active. We need to send them letters. I send letters to my congressmen all the time telling them what I don't like. And they respond. They do respond. So they, they pay attention to those kind of things. So I think that's going to happen. But Joseph was in a shock of his life when they hauled him off. And he didn't know what his future held. Now, he had an, he had an opportunity to either just be depressed, because I'd be depressed if something like that happened to me. They yanked me off. I'd be depressed. Oh, woe is me. I guess I better die. Oh, my life's over. But he didn't, because he had this something. And I think there was a... I think he had a desire for God, and he had a sense of God, but he didn't really understand the fullness of God and, and what his plan was for his life. And that's what we see from the time that he's hauled off. Because if they hadn't hauled him off to, G to uh, Egypt in chains, he never would have been the great Joseph that he turned out to be. And everything that goes on in our lives, we may be hauled off some places in chains, maybe not physically, but spiritually or, or emotionally. And we have to realize that God is there. Joseph found that God was in Egypt. And wherever we go, whatever we do, God is there. And so we don't need to worry about the future. We can just place it in God's hand. And Joseph was forced to do that. Sometimes we'll, God will put us in a position where we have nothing else to do but trust him. And when we trust him, God says, oh, wow, finally. Finally, they're going to trust me. Finally, they're going to rely on me. Because that's what God wants. And when we finally rely on God, that's when he can use us. That's when he can mold us, and that's when he can shape us. And that's what found, Joseph found out. <clears throat> and he found out that he didn't want to die. He wanted to live. And so he did everything he could to live. And that means creating an attitude within yourself toward living. Some people just have a bad attitude. And I like hanging around them because they bring you down. And so we have, as Christians, need to have a good attitude. No matter what happens to us, we can always have a good attitude. And when we show that attitude and we're, and we're happy about everything that happens in our life, even though we don't like them, we don't have to like them, but we have to understand that God is using that circumstance or that situation in order to mold us in what we want to do so we can have a confidence in them. And then we re don't respond the way most people would respond. Then they say, hey, what's different about you? How come when these things happen to you, what is it? Why aren't you upset? Why aren't you depressed? Why aren't you angry? And then it gives an opportunity to say, well, because my life's in God's hand. And nothing can happen to me that hasn't been approved by God. I may not like it. And I tell God a lot of times, I don't like it, God. 
I don't like it. Why did you do this to me? I don't like it. And I throw a fit. You know, you little kids, you know, they, when they're little, they don't get their own way. They throw themselves down on the floor and kick and scream and holler. Well, I, I do that, but I would need help getting up, so I don't do the kicking and the screaming. I just do the screaming and the, <laughs> God, what are you doing? So, but we need to make sure that our attitude's in, in line with what God wants us to, to be, and that's what Joseph did, you know. Pain and suffering in this world is, is an everyday occurrence, but misery is optional. We can choose to be miserable. We don't have to be, but we can choose to be miserable. And what, if we want to be miserable, then we're going to pollute everybody around us and make them miserable because misery likes company, don't they? But as Christians, we've got to step back and say, I'm not going to be miserable. I may be angry about the situation, but I am not going to be miserable. I'm going to be happy because I know I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this darkness in my, in my life, and there is a light at the end of the tunnel, and then I'm going to be able to look back and say what God did in my life. Because that's the joy of going through problems. If we don't get anything out of it, then we've wasted our time. If you're knocked down while you're down, pick something up while you're there. So you learn something from it. Make everything that happens in our lives a lesson. And that's what Joseph did. That's how he survived. Uh, verse 3. <clears throat> when his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became an attendant. His attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of the household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessings of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. When we give our life to God, God blesses our life. And people are going to give you responsibilities. You may get promoted ahead of other people because God's blessings is upon you. When I work, I said, oh, we prayed for the place that I worked. I said, God, bless this place I work. Help me, Lord, to find out ideas or things that are going to save this company money so I can stand out. Because they used to make fun of me. They always make fun of Christians. You know that. Of course, they didn't do it as much when you're the boss. It makes it a little harder for them. <laughs> then they kind of pretend to okay, okay type attitude when you're the boss. So, but I asked God, give me ideas. Give me ways that I can save the company money. And so I turned out to be a problem solver for the company. And I said, millions and millions of dollars. Because of my intelligence? No. Because I asked God, God, help me. Help me to help the place that I work. Let your blessing be upon this place I work. Don't let the, the, the economy affect this place that I work. And God could do that. He had places like when we learn about the, the plagues in Egypt. It was raining over here, hail and fire, or fire and over here, but over here it was nice. It was dark over here, but the sun was shining over here. So God can do that. And I think that if we're not praying for our employees in the place we work, we're doing them a disservice because we want God to get the credit. So when the company starts blessing, then they're going to know because God's going to see to it one way or the other. But even if they don't, it doesn't matter because it helps your security because you want to keep your job. And if your company you work for isn't prosperous and succeed, then you're going to be out of a job. So it's out of self-preservation we should be playing, praying for them. So but he trusted everything into Joseph's hand because he knew he could see that God was blessing him. And he wanted it. He wanted in on the action. Because that's, that's smart business. If somebody knows how to run something and the guy, they're blessing everything they do, let them do it. Makes sense to me. Let's see, verse 6. <clears throat> so he left in Joseph's care everything he had, 
with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself over anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was a well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me, but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house except his own, he has trusted in my, in my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now we see Joseph's character showing up. There wasn't somebody, there wasn't, the, uh, the Ten Commandments hadn't been given at this time, so he didn't know those rules, but God's law was written in his heart. And when we come to God, it doesn't matter whether the Ten Commandments were written or we'd ever read them before, they'll be in our heart. And so Joseph, he said, I, how could I do this thing and sin against God? It wasn't against his master. It wasn't sinning against anybody else. It was against God he was concerned with. He could care less about anything except God. And he understood that there's consequences to sin, and he wasn't going to do it. It didn't matter what the consequences were here. He wanted to make sure he didn't sin against God. And so he resisted, and he resisted, and he resisted. Every day, he resisted. <clears throat> and our character will be something that people will notice. Integrity and character is something that, that we need. I remember the, the, about General Lee right after the Civil War. And, of course, the South lost. So all the Southern gentlemen and all the Southern uh, Army guys and militia, whatever that they were, they ended up basically bankrupt because they'd given all their money to the war, and they lost. And when you lose, you don't get the spoils of war. You get what's left. And everyone was always after, after General Lee. Some of them thought he was a traitor because he surrendered you know, to the North. And others, they just didn't like it because they lost, and they took out all their hostility against him. And finally, you know, some people were interested in his war stories, because we like war stories, don't we? We just like to watch war stories, and we like to hear about heroes and, and those kind of things. And they were always after him and offered him money, say, hey, just give us your story, and we'll give you money. But he declined. He never once went, we talked about the war. After the war was over, it was gone. It was over with. And that's a lesson to us, too. When something happens and it's in the past, leave it back there. He didn't want to talk about it. He didn't want to bring it out front no more because when you bring something out that's past, especially if it's something that you lost, then it makes you angry. And you have all these feelings that you keep bringing up and bringing up and bringing up. So he says, no, I'm not talking about that. I'm not even going to mention it. And then when he got older, somebody said, hey, I'll give you $10,000 a year just to use your name. Now, $10,000, Civil War time, that's a lot of money to be offering somebody. But he said, refused. He says, you know, all I have left is my name. And my good name is all I have, and it's not for sale. That's about, about says it all. You can see somebody's character because it's your name, because you have to keep up your name. The best thing you can give to your children is a good name best thing. I know that when uh, <clears throat> kids followed me in school, if they happen to go to the same school, oh no, is your mother, <laughs> is your mother Sandra? Oh no, because automatically they, oh no, here we got some kids. I remember her. I remember her. Or they get one of my other kids when they went up to the same school. Oh, is that your brother? Oh yeah. So now they've already got, um, you know, I'm being careful because oh no, they're going to be just like him. And we spend a lot of time at the school with our kids. 
and it wasn't for the good things. Oh, no, you're proud of those moments. We knew, oh, no, i got to go to school again. I spent so much time when my kids were in school at the school, I thought I was enrolled. And I thought this was going to make me start taking tests again. But So all we have is our good name. And as a Christian, that's very important because if they can catch us losing our integrity over one little thing or saying something that's a little off-colored or whatever, they're going to hold that up to everybody, and you're going to have to try to live that down for the rest of your life. So all we have is our good name. Because if we don't have a good name, they won't care. They don't care what you say because our lives speak for themselves. So, but Joseph, he he was more afraid of sinning against God than anything else. Verse 10 And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into her house to attend to his duties, and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by the cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out. Oh, wow. Now, we, when we're tempted with something in our life, we have an option. You know, if I'm on a diet, I'm not going to go to the bakery. I'm not going to hang around the bakery. I don't want to be tempted by the bakery. But it'd be like me being on a diet and having to work in the bakery. The only difference is that he didn't have no choice. He couldn't just selectively say, I'm not going here, or I'm being tempted every day. I'm not, I can't go here because he was a slave. He had to go there. And then when he walks in there and there's nobody around, hey, who would have known? Who would have known? You know, he's a young man. It wouldn't have been that big, big a deal. It'd been better for my job. Who knows, whatever, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't compromise himself. Even though he is tempted day after day after day, he was tempted. And it says he was tempted, but he wasn't going to. He wouldn't submit to the temptation because he didn't want to sin against God. And so he couldn't avoid the situation, but he endured it day after day after day. And finally, the time came when he couldn't. Hey, man, there was nobody there. There was no reason that he could do anything. And so he says, come on, come on. He says, oh, no, no, no. And he grabbed his coat, and he ran off and left his coat in her hand. He, he ran as fast as his little legs could carry him. And that's what we need to do. When we're tempted in a situation and we find ourselves starting to feel the traps or starting to feel the grasping us to where we maybe, maybe we're going to submit to the temptation, maybe we're going to be inclined to do something we don't want to do, that's when we need to run. And I don't care whether it's lose your coat, lose your shoes, lose whatever it is to lose. Run. And that's a good lesson for us. We need to flee. And we need it to be instinctively. Joseph didn't have to sit there and think about it. He just instinctively ran. If we have to think about something, then we're in trouble. Because sometimes, you know, we look at something one time, oh, no big deal. But then we look at the same thing again, and all of a sudden we're starting to evaluate it. By the time we're starting to look at it by the third time, we think, well, you know, that isn't that bad. It wouldn't be that big a deal. Nobody would know. So we got to run when we're looking at the first thing, not wait until it's the end. And that's what Joseph did. He didn't wait. He's running. He didn't care what the consequences would be. He didn't care how disobedient he may have been. He ran. And what happened after that? Oh, this is when all the fun started for him again. And that's in verse uh, 13. When she saw that he had left his robe and had run out of his house, she called to her house servants and said, Look at us. 
This Hebrew that my husband brought to the house is insulting us. He came into my room and tried to rake me, but I screamed as loud as I could. When he heard me scream, he ran outside, leaving his robe beside, he, beside me. She kept his robe for, until Joseph's master came home. Then she told him the same story. That Hebrew slave that you brought here came into my room and insulted me. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his robe beside me. There's nothing worse than a, than a, what is it, a jilted woman, they say. The anger of a woman is, oh, don't want to mess with that. Well, that's the way she was. She was mad because she thought all she had to do was make this. She, see, she thought that all that was keeping Joseph from, from sinning in his eyes was all the witnesses. So she cleared out the witnesses so there wouldn't be no, no problem for her, for him. So now, but now then she realized it wasn't had anything to do with him. It was her. And he, she didn't like that. Man, this is a slave. Who does he think he is? He's, he's my property. But he didn't care. Joseph didn't care. Didn't care what the consequences were, and he ran. And when the, when the master came home, she told him the same story. And now that would be a nice, interesting conversation to be uh, uh, heard about you, wouldn't it? And sometimes things are going to be said about us. And they may even have some proof or think they have some proof just like she had. She had Joseph's coat. He had Joseph's robe. So she had some evidence that he had been there. And sometimes they're going to believe it. And so that's what was happening to him. <clears throat> People aren't happy about our moral values that we have. And so when we say, I can't do this because of my beliefs or because of this moral stand that I have, they're going to hate you because, it, well, I don't have those kind of morals. So they think that you're flaunting them in their face, and so they hate you. And they're going to do something to get you. They do everything they can to get you. <clears throat> and that's what happened here. She didn't like being rejected, so she's going to take it out on poor little Joseph. Uh, verse 20. Joseph's master was furious and had Joseph arrested, put him in prison where the king's prisoners were kept, and there he stayed. But the Lord was with Joseph and blessed him, so that the jailer was pleased with him. He put Joseph in charge of all the other prisoners and made him responsible for everything that was done in the prison. The jailer did not have to look after anything for which Joseph was responsible because the Lord was with him, was with Joseph, and made him succeed in everything he did. Now, this is Potiphar that put him in prison, but the prison he put him in wasn't the regular prisoner prison where the, all the lowlifes lived. This was the uh, prison that the king's palace had just for people he'd get mad at. So it was more like a country club type prison, you know, like, like we have now, you know, the kind we put our prisoners in now, unless you're in Arizona when you have Sheriff Joe. Yay, Sheriff Joe, I love that man. <laughs> so he was in a, in a uh, selective prison where it wasn't that bad to be there. But guess who his jailer was? Potiphar. The guy that put him in jail, he was the one that ran this prison. So we sit there and think, now this doesn't make any sense. He's mad at Joseph, so he throws him in prison. But he thought, whoa, wait a minute, I don't know whether he believed his wife or maybe he didn't believe his wife. Maybe he thought, nah, maybe she's not telling the truth. Or he loved money more than he loved his wife. I think it might be a combination of all of those. But I think he didn't believe. Sure, he got mad right off, right off the bat. But as he thought about it, he probably thought, yeah, he wouldn't have done that. And he started questioning it. So even though people may say things about us, they may have some kind of evidence that we did something that was wrong, and we know in our hearts we didn't, and we plead our case to God. God sometimes will just turn it around, and they won't believe it. There's going to always find people that aren't going to believe the things that are said about us. But we have to live that life of integrity. We have to live and walk in character. 
good character for them not to do that because the world wants to tear us down because if they don't tear us down, then they have to improve their life, and they don't want to. How many times do you go clean up a pig, and then you turn them loose, and they're right back in that, that wallow? They don't like being clean, and they don't want to be around a pig that is clean. And that's the way the world is. You know, we're clean. God cleans us up, and we walk around, and we're kind of glistening and shiny, and, and there's nothing that the world hates more than somebody that's got their life together when their life is falling apart. Because we live in a society of people where their lives are falling apart. And we got it all together. God is the glue that holds us together. And the more of God we have in our life, the more we have it together. So we don't have to worry about it. Even if the world has all kinds of proof against us, it doesn't matter. Because he said, if those are going to uh, persecute you falsely for my name's sake. Now, if we got it coming, he didn't say anything about that. If you got it coming, then you're going to get it. But for those that are falsely accused, those that are blamed for things that we didn't do, it's going to be falsely that God has a reward for us and he has blessings for us to be able to endure to get through those things. But we've got to stand tall and say, I don't care. It doesn't matter what they accuse me of. It doesn't matter what they say, what they do. I'm going to walk in the integrity of God and I'm going to do what he thinks is right, irregardless of what the world does. It doesn't matter if the whole world is doing things that shouldn't be doing. I'm not going to, because I've made up my mind. I'm going to take a stand for God. And if the world don't like it, too bad. If they want to throw me in jail, throw me in jail. If they want to beat me up, beat me up. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Because nothing in this short life that we have can compare to the joys that he has prepared for those who love him. And he's got, oh, one day, one minute in heaven, and it'll be the last time you ever think about anything happening on this world or on this earth. Won't need to worry about it. All we need is just a glimpse of him. And when we come to God and we pray and we ask God, say, oh, Lord, just fill me with your power, fill me with your presence, then all of a sudden the things of this world, they just kind of fade away. And, well, it wasn't that bad. And the further away you get from a situation, you look back and think, you know, that wasn't so bad. Why was I so upset over that? Why did that bother me so much? And that's what God does for us. He gives us the power inside ourselves to be what he wants us to be. But we have to be able to be willing to let people say what they want about us. Because we can't always let uh, influence the way people are going to say what they're going to do. That's up to God. And the devil hates us. Got news for you. If you think the devil likes you, you're wrong. He hated God, and he hates us. And the best way, he can't get at God, so he's going to try and get at us. And as Christians, I hope we're not being used by Satan as much as the world is, but sometimes we do. Sometimes the devil uses us to get at people too. I hate it when it happens, <laughs> but he does. So we've got to be willing to not uh, allow situations in our life to get to us. Say, I am not going to sin against God. I don't care what the consequences are. I don't care what's going on. I am not going to sin against God, just like Joseph did. And when that happens, then God comes through. <clears throat> we're not going to uh, alleviate problems in this world. If you're a Christian, you're going to have problems. If you're not a Christian, you're going to have problems. The only difference is that when you're a Christian, we have God to go through them with us. We don't have to walk that valley alone. We don't have to worry about what's going on because we know God's in charge. And he's going to work it out. He's going to work it out for my good. And when I get through this valley, when I've gone through it, then I'm going to look back and say, hey, look what God did in my life. Look how much stronger I am now than I was before. Because if you want to build, build up muscles, you've got to lift weights. And you've got to start small. 
But pretty soon, if you keep at it, and you keep persevering, and you keep pushing, and you keep doing things, then God's going to come through. And next thing you know, you're going to be stronger. You're going to be stronger this week than you was last week. Because every day, it's a strengthening of our spirit, a strengthening of who we are. And all we have is our character to be able. That's what the world sees. And if we're living a life that's a lie in comparison to what God wants us to live, the people know that. And they're not going to listen to anything we say because our life speaks louder than anything that we could possibly say. But when we speak, when we walk in, in righteousness and we walk the way that God wants us to, then, oh, yeah, they're going to make fun of you. They're going to harass you. But when they have a need or they have a problem, they're going to come up and say, you know, Sandra, would you come pray with me? You know, my grandma's really sick or my kid's really sick and all these things are happening because they know who to go when, when there's a problem. We don't need to worry about it. They'll find you. And then you have an opportunity to pray for them and to be able to, to let God flow through you and to be able to bless someone else. And that's what we're here for. That's what we're here for. <clears throat> Jeremiah 20:11 says, But the Lord is with me like a mighty warrior, so my persecutors will stumble and not prevail. They will fail and be thoroughly disgraced. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Now, what, no matter what they did to Joseph, he was victorious because his attitude was right. And he found God. He found God's strength to be all he needed. And it comforted him when he was in a foreign land. He was in a foreign land with a language he didn't understand, customs that he didn't understand. He was just a foreigner from the word go. I wouldn't like to be, you know, when he was in Israel, I wouldn't like to have been dropped right in the middle of there, even though it was kind of a friendly country, not being able to understand anything anybody said. Most of the people speak English, but you got in dealing with somebody who didn't speak English, and man, it was, it was not pleasant trying to figure out what they were talking about. So this was hard, a hard life that Joseph had to live, but he wouldn't succumb. And if we trust in God, we don't have to succumb. I'm reminded of the, there was a Peanuts cartoon here a few years ago. And we know Lucy, she was always the one that, that did these kind of things. And so she set up her little psychiatrist desk that she had, and she wanted to put her sign open to give advice to everybody. And, of course, we know that Charlie Brown, he was always the, the pessimist guy. He was always looking at the negative. So he went down there, and he was kind of depressed. Uh, and Lucy, you know, sitting there talking to him, said, I know that you're depressed about Snoopy's doghouse burning down. It was a terrible thing that happened. But, you know, there's some good that can come out of that. Now, I'm going to read this because I don't want to miss a word of it because it's very, very good. And he said, there's lessons to be learned from seeing Snoopy's house burn down. Adversity builds character. Without adversary, adversity, a person could never mature and face up to all the things in life. Charlie Brown, he perked up and he thought, wow, there's something to be good. What, what things? What things? And loosely Slugly said, more adversity. <laughs> and that's what we have to look forward to, more adversity in our lives. Because I don't care, this world is not a friendly place to be in, whether you're a Christian or not Christian. It doesn't matter. But when we walk in God, when we walk in his presence and allow him to bless our lives, then it's just like, you know, you've seen this Teflon stuff that they have, and they throw muddy water on it and stuff like that, and it kind of just sheets off. Well, that's what happens when we walk in God's presence and walk in, in what he wants us to be and walk in his anointing every day. They can throw, give it their best shot, and it'll just splatter and roll off because that's what God wants for our lives and be able to use it to make us stronger. I have a little story I want to read here. It talks a little bit about character. <clears throat> it's, it'll take a couple minutes to read it. 
but the lesson and the thing is pretty good. It said, Curtis the stock boy and Brenda the checkout girl. In the supermarket, Curtis the stock boy was busily working with a new, when a new voice came over the loudspeaker asking for carry out at register four. Curtis was almost finished and wanted to get some fresh air and decided to answer the call. As he approached the checkout stand, a distant smile caught his eye and the new checkout girl was beautiful. She was an older woman, older, maybe 26. <clears throat> 26, huh? And he was only 22, and he fell in love. Later that day, after his shift was over, he, he waited by the punch clock to find out her name. She came into the break room, smiled softly at him, took her card, and, and she took her card and punched out, then left. He looked at her card, Brenda. He walked out, only to see her start walking up the road. Next day, he waited outside as she left the supermarket and offered her a ride home. He looked harmless enough, she thought, and she accepted. When he dropped her off, he asked if maybe he could see her again outside of work. She simply said it was impossible. He pressed, and she explained that she had two children and she couldn't afford a babysitter, so he offered to pay for the babysitter. Reluctantly, she accepted his offer for a date for the following Saturday. That Saturday night, he arrived at her door only to have her tell him that she was unable to go with him. The babysitter had called and canceled, to which Curtis simply said, well, let's take the kids with us. She tried to explain that taking the kids was not an option. But again, not taking no for an answer, he pressed. Finally, Brenda brought him inside to meet her children. She had an older daughter who was just as cute as a bug, Curtis thought. Then Brenda brought out her son in a wheelchair. He was born a paraplegic with Down syndrome. Curtis asked Brenda, I don't understand why the kids can't come with us. Brenda was amazed. Most men would run away from a woman with two kids, especially with one with disabilities, just like her first husband and father of her children had done. Curtis was not an ordinary man. He had a different mindset. That evening, Curtis and Brenda loaded up the kids and went to dinner in the movies. When her son needed anything, Curtis would take care of him. When he needed to use the restroom, he picked him up out of the wheelchair, took him, and brought him back. The kids loved Curtis. At the end of the evening, Brenda knew this was the man she was going to marry and spend the rest of her life with. A year later, they were married, and Curtis adopted both of her children. Since then, they had added two more kids. So what happened to Curtis, the stock boy, and Brenda, the checkout girl? Well, Mr. and Mrs. Kurt Warner now live in Arizona, where he is currently appointed as a quarterback at the National Football League Arizona Cardinals and has, had, and has his Cardinals in the Super Bowl, in case you didn't know. In this surprise ending, or could you have guessed that he was not an ordinary person? Of course, we know that he also led the Rams to the Super Bowl where he was voted MVP and has been the NFL's most valuable player. And hopefully he'll do that again today. <laughs> but he was a man of character and he's a Christian, in case you didn't know. <laughs> And I thought that's a great story to share today, not only because we have the Super Bowl, but to realize that there are Christians out there in the world of sports and in the world of other things going on. And he was a man of character. And he stood up for his beliefs. And like I said, under those kind of circumstances, men would run because no one wants to deal with those kind of problems. But God wants to make us men and women with character and values and morals so the world will notice us. And when they ask, how come your life, you seem like nothing bothers you, then we can say, it's God. God is the difference. 
and then we can help them to understand that God can make their life different because that's what God's will is for all of our lives. And everyone we know, everyone we pass on the street, it's God's will for that person to have a life that serves God and given to God and make their life better. <clears throat> Let's pray. Our precious